And people have been confronted with the, with the same question ever since. When this man spoke, this Jewish man, when he answered the Son of God possibly, he meant, what he meant by that was a title, something very different from what Scripture declared. And if you'll talk to people, you will probably get a number of different answers about, it, about the question, who is, who is Jesus? And some of them might be close to, to what Scripture declares or even a portion of what Scripture declares. Some people will say that Jesus was a teacher. Surely he was. He was a teacher. As a matter of fact, whenever people heard his sermons, they, they, were, they, they marveled. They said, they, they said uh, I mean, never a man has spoken like this. He speaks with such authority. He's not like the scribes and Pharisees. He was an excellent teacher. Others will even claim that he's the, he's the Messiah. In Galilee, after Jesus performed the, the, the feeding of the, of the 5,000 and some other miracles, they wanted to take him and make him the king and, and, and usher him into Rome. You know, at, the, at Palm Sunday, where he comes riding down the Mount of Olives on the, on the colt. You know, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's, the, here's our Messiah. And what they meant by that was, was here's the one who, who will lead an earthly kingdom. He's our earthly king, like David, but, but not, not the greater David. What is scandalous, what is difficult for a number of people to, to accept is the claim that Jesus was God in the flesh, right? I mean, a lot of people will follow the teachings of Jesus. But then whenever you, you actually bring it down to what Jesus Christ claimed himself, is a completely different story. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good to, to love your fellow man. It's, it's really good to, to do good works. Do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. That's okay, but, but Jesus goes much farther than that, doesn't he? Jesus claimed to be God incarnate. And the Bible declares, and Jesus himself declared, if he was not God, then there is no salvation in, in him. It does you, let me say this in a very plain way, it does you no good whatsoever to follow the teachings of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, to keep the golden rule or do unto others or anything if Jesus was not God. It, it, it makes no difference for, for eternity whatsoever. It might give you a pretty good life. People might treat you well. You might enjoy your life. You might feel good about giving and doing good things. But it will not change your eternal destiny one iota if Jesus Christ was not God. A teacher's lessons cannot pay for your sins. A wise man, his wisdom cannot help you to raise from the dead on the last day. And deep down inside of every single person on the planet and deep down inside of your heart this morning, you know that there is such a thing as right and wrong and you know that you sinned. Before I ever came to Christ, no one ever had to tell me that... that that I sinned. They had to tell me how, how big of a sinner I was, but no one really had to, had to help me understand that I'd done wrong things. And the wisdom of the Bible, the wisdom of, of any teacher, can help you to raise from the dead if Jesus was, was not God. And only God can do those things. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can raise a person from the dead. Only God can be the substitute for your sin. And that great doctrine is really what Christmas is, is all about. And during this time of year, we sing, Oh, oh come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us. 
Joy to the world. The Lord is is come. And he hasn't just come to to give us a, a way to live. He's he's come to give us a way out of our sin and a way into into heaven. And all the celebration and singing is wonderful. I, I love it. I do. I was sitting here looking at the decorations thinking, I love Christmas time. I really do. But the doctrine that rests upon the doctrine that all of that rests upon is called the, the enfleshment of God, the incarnation. It is the it is the rock of offense for, for Muslims. Isa or Jesus is is in the Quran, but not the Jesus that's that's in the Bible. It's a stumbling stone for Jews. He, he's a rabbi, he's a Messiah, but but not God himself. It's it's a foolish myth to the educated. And yet the Apostle John, as we read in John chapter 1, knows that it is the gospel, and he doesn't shy away from it. In fact, he puts that Jesus is God, puts Jesus' deity, that he was God in the flesh. He puts it right up front, so, so, there's, so there's no mistake. He puts the truth in full display. He declares with great force that Jesus is not just a teacher or someone comes in supernatural powers to reveal a way to heaven. He is God in the flesh and the only hope for sinners, and He's the only way to heaven. I mean, Christianity is true or it's not true. I mean, there's no middle ground. Either, either all of the Bible is true, that God is the Creator and that Jesus is the Savior, or none of it's true. Halagos Tutheu, the, the Lagos of God, was made flesh and dwelt among men. It's breathtaking, it's stunning, and yet without it being true, there, there is no salvation. And I want to take you there, and I just want to, just want to remind you of this witness of John. So open your Bibles to, to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We read the verses, verses 1 through 18, this morning. And if you know your Bible, you know that, that John, the Gospel of John, is, is a Gospel that was written out of its time. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you kind of have John, which is very different. Its purpose is, is, is somewhat different. It's the most significant distinction about the Gospel of John is, is that it's very theological, it almost seems silly to say because all of the Word of God is theological. It's to teach us about God. But, but, but John had a specific purpose. You know, the, the, the I am statements, how, how, the, how John is, is structured. And the most significant distinction about the Gospel of John is the deity of Christ is taught in every chapter. And it's taught with gale force in the, in the prologue, in the beginning here. John begins his entire gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, or Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, he's echoing back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody would be okay with that. All the Jewish people would be okay with that. Even the Greeks would be okay with that. In the beginning was the Logos, was the wisdom that holds all things together, that, there's, that there is some divine maker. There's, a, there's intelligence out there. In the beginning was intelligence. In the beginning was wisdom that put all things together. Okay, I'm all right with that. And this logos, or this wisdom, was with God. Well, okay, if there's a God out there, then he obviously had to be wise and be able to put it all together. I'm okay with that. 
And this logos, this word, was God. Am I okay with that? Are you okay with that? He was in the beginning with God. The eternality of Christ, the Trinity, the absolute deity of Jesus is shouted from the first line. It's a, it's a trumpet blast that provides both risk and, and also a reward. I mean, if John was attempting to woo his readers in into the story before you laid the heavy stuff on him. He's not doing a really good job, right? You see that today. People try to cover up the, the rough edges, the things that, that may turn you off, so we don't put our best foot forward. We don't want to tell you the we don't want to tell you the fine print. Well Jesus doesn't I mean John doesn't just take the fine print about Jesus and, and tuck it behind chapter one. He puts it in the introduction. And it's a risk. But if the incarnation of Christ is is the fact that that Jesus was God in the flesh, if that's fundamental to the faith, if it's part of the gospel, if it alone brings salvation, then then John must declare it. And the same is true for, for you today. God declares to you, I declare to you this morning from the Word of God, that, that His Son was not just a man or even supernatural. He was God in, in flesh. And if you don't believe that, then there is no hope of heaven. But, if you do believe that, if you receive God's testimony, all of God's testimony, what He says about Jesus, then the reward is that, that He'll give you the privilege to become a child of, of God. In John chapter 1, he, he echoes back to, to Genesis. And, and look at verse 3. He's talking about, again, Genesis, the Creator. All things were made through Him. Through who? God? Through God. And he's talking about Jesus. And without Him, nothing was made. And in Him was life. He, didn't just, he just didn't create all of the, the material world. He, he created the... Created the living world, and life was the was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness, and the, the darkness did not comprehend it or didn't overtake it. There was a witness. There was a man sent from God in verse six, whose name was John, and you know John the Baptist is the bridge between the Old and the New Testament. After four hundred years of being silent, God sends a prophet into the world, John the Baptist, to declare that the Messiah is coming. God is coming. And this man came to bear witness for the, of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light. Don't mistake, the prophets are not God. He was sent to bear witness of that light. There was the true light, which gives light unto every man who's come into the world. And, and here is the rejection of Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Their very creator was in the world, and, and the world didn't know him. He came to his own people, to the Jews, and they did not receive him. And you should pay close attention to these words in verse 12. But while, they're, while the world rejects him, while even many of the Jews reject him, but you, if you receive him, to you he gives you the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name and who he is and all that he is. That he's God. 
These people were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but you're born of God. Isn't that what John says later in John chapter 3? You must be born again. You must be born from above. Salvation doesn't come from your mommy and daddy. It doesn't come from anything other than God. And then here is the testimony. I mean, if you would want to summarize the first 18 verses, I think it would be summarized in this one verse. It's like, zoom in on verse 14. And the Word, the Word which created all things, the Word which holds all things together, the Word that was there in the beginning, the Word that was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, there's God's testimony. It gives us three revelations about the incarnation of Jesus Christ in in that verse. And the first revelation that's found in verse 14 is that, that the eternal God became flesh. He's already defined for us who the Word is. It's God. It's the one who was in the beginning. The eternal God became flesh. And the Word became flesh. Now, don't miss the significance Don't miss the difference between what John is claiming here and what every other religion in the world claims. I told you a couple weeks ago that when I was, we were in in China just a few weeks ago, there was a man asking a lot of questions about Jesus and about Christianity. And he'd already looked into Buddhism and he looked into other places and he said, I still cannot find rest for my conscience. I'm still troubled about my past. I can't find forgiveness. What, what makes Christianity Better than, than all of these other religions. What will it provide for me? What I'm looking what makes it different? And the answer is the teachings of Buddha or Confucius or anyone else. The teachings of a man can't forgive your sins, but God can forgive your sins. And if Jesus is God, then God can do things that human teachers can't. Don't miss the significance of what John is saying here. The word God became flesh, the eternal God became flesh. That's completely the opposite of what all the other religions in the world claim. I can remember the Attorney General John Ashcroft under the Bush administration who was asked back in early 2000, this was right after 9-11, he was asked about being a religious man. And he was asked, what's the difference between Christianity and Islam? What's the difference between what you believe, because John Ashcroft was a Christian, claimed to be, and the Muslims that flew the planes into the Twin Towers. And you heard this quote before, but it's a beautiful quote. He said, Islam is a religion in which God requires you to send your son to die for him. Christianity is a faith in which God sends his son to die for you. Totally different. John's doing the same thing here that John Ashcroft declared. John says in verse 14, God became man, not that man becomes God. That's that's the fundamental difference between all the other religions of the world. All the other religions of the world say you become more like God. You become God. If you follow Mormonism, that's the whole that's the whole thing they hold out to you. You become like God. If you are you follow Islam, then 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 you go through the the five tenets and you become more like God. You become more righteous. You follow Buddha, you become wise, and you follow those teachings. You pray. You, if you follow the many gods of, of Hinduism, then 
All of it's deifying man. You become more like God. But, but that's not what Christianity declares. That's not what, what, what the Bible declares. The Bible declares that you don't become more like God. It's God became like His creation for a purpose. All other religions of the world teach you that you must become like God. You must pull yourself up to God by your prayers, by your works, by your knowledge, by your sacrifice. You become more like God and therefore more acceptable to God. But Christianity declares that God became like man so that he could become an acceptable substitute for you. You see, the Bible declares what you already know, that you have been weighed in the balance. You've been weighed, your life has been weighed on the scales of right and wrong, of light and truth, of good and evil. My my motives, my heart, my actions, all of my life, God being able to see the beginning from the end, has been weighed on the scales, has been measured against the law of God, and we have come up short, we've come up wanting, right? There's no hope. You don't want to stand before God and allow Him to weigh out your righteousness and your unrighteousness because He's already done that and He's declared there's none righteous. No, not one. But Jesus Christ was fully righteous, completely righteous, because He was God. And even as I said in in the introduction, God declares in Jesus He is well pleased, even though He's not. In us, in the opening phrase, the Word became flesh. Probably doesn't have the impact on us that it did in John's day. I mean, the reader of the Gospel of John, written in Greek, would have would have laid eyes on the word logos and would have known exactly what John was talking about. To the Greek, it meant the it meant the wisdom of the gods. What gave the universe order? To the Jew, it was used to explain Yahweh's knowledge. It was God's wisdom that made sense out of all things. It was wisdom, light, and understanding. It was, for the Jew, it was, it was above human ways. It was distant. It was past fully understanding, past finding out. And all of that would have been understood. And, and the reader would have been staggered by what he read. The Word, flesh, Became? I mean, how do you take the transcendence of God? How do, you take, how do you take the wisdom that gives order to the universe and bring that down and, and make it flash? Like, like you have, like I have. How's that possible? And they would have read further, and this perfection, this holiness, this wisdom, this, this omniscience dwelt among us. That's scandalous. I mean, in John's times, there were, there were certain Jews who believed in the resurrection. But there was nobody that believed that God could or even would become flesh. I can still remember reading this passage in my first year Greek class. And the professor, the the writer of the, of the text said, John says the center of who God is, God's life, the thought, and thought all that He is, descended and entered into this world and took up its form, its sarks, its flesh, 
in order to be known by us and to save us. The word flesh doesn't mean like sinful nature. It just means a a whole man, human form. God became human, human form. It means the eternal wisdom of God came robed in human flesh and lived among among the, the ones He, by that same wisdom, spoke into existence in the beginning. This is the second person of the Trinity. It's breathtaking. And it's absolutely necessary for salvation. Jesus always was. Jesus always was God. But before the incarnation, before the coming that John is talking about here, when the Word became flesh, before that, He didn't possess human nature. He was God, but He didn't possess human form, human nature. And by the virgin birth, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit... God humbled Himself and took upon Him human form, and now He continues to be God in two distinct natures in one person forever. I mean, there's the incarnation, there's the virgin birth, there's how it all comes together in in Christmas. Philippians 2 describes it. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Who being in the form of God, this is talking about Jesus, Thought equality with God was was not a thing to be grasped. Although he was although he was God, he he, he didn't think it that position to be to be held on to. He he stooped, he he forsook that position, and he made himself of no reputation. And took upon the form of a of a servant, being made in the likeness of, of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the, on the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and, and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in the earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's fully God, always was. Always will be. And at the incarnation, he became fully man. And yet without sin. He was fully God. This is why this is so fundamental to your faith. Why it's so fundamental to your salvation, what I'm getting ready to say. He was fully God to live the perfect, sinless life and do the Father's will without fail. And this is what the book of Hebrews says. It wasn't sacrifice and offering that pleased God, but a body that was prepared for Him. It was all part of God's plan that God Himself would come. It was part of the plan before the fall, after the fall. He declares that, that there will be a seed who will come. And that seed will be Jesus. How will that seed come? The seed will come through a body, through the virgin birth. A body prepared for Him that God would be able to come into His creation and He would be able to live a perfect sinless life and do the Father's will. But he also had to be fully man so he could suffer and bleed and die as a substitute. The body that, that Jesus had, the body that, that Christ had when he went to the cross was a body like yours. It was flesh and blood. He was fully God to, to love and to be omniscient and to have mercy and to hate sin. And yet he was fully man to be tempted in all points and... 
like we've been tempted, and yet he succeeds is where we fail. The incarnation declares that God has not left us alone, although he should have, and he surely could have. He's not abandoned us. The eternal God became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And the second revelation that he gives there is that God came to us. And let us sink in for a minute. How do I get to God? What's the meaning of life? I mean, all of those confusing questions that are out there that people grope in the dark trying to find, which is why you have all of these perversions of religions all over the world, and yet Christianity declares that in the midst of that groping, God comes to man. God comes to us. And He reveals Himself to us. I mean, everyone looking around sees creation and knows that there's more than, than, than just this life. There's too much design. I mean, even, even evolutionists will claim fate, had, they'll deify fate in some way. I mean, there, there's got to be some, some force out there that brings things about, just given enough time. And, and yet, the Bible declares that, that God came to us. He didn't just take on human flesh. He came to us. He dwelt among us. He didn't just take creation upon Himself. He lived among His creation. That's the humbled Himself. C.S. Lewis tried to describe it with, to, to get around our minds that, that if you were sitting at your dining room table and you were looking down at, at your, your dog that was, that was there at your feet and, and you look down at the dog and, and he's looking up at you and he's wagging his tail, you know. We used to have a dachshund growing up that would sit on its hind legs. You know, if... if if there was some way that, that, that you could save that dog by, by becoming like that dog, would you do it? He's trying to find some way to help us wrap our minds around the incarnation. Except the, the difference between being a human and a dog versus being God and man is like light years. Jesus didn't just take on human flesh. He... He lived amongst His creation. And, and John uses this word meaning to pitch a tent or to tabernacle. And the Word became flesh in verse 14. And, and the Word tabernacled among us. God lived among us. He pitched a tent among us. It's a reference to the, to the tabernacle of the Old Testament. If you were a Jew, you would, have been, you, you would have known exactly what John was talking about here. It's a reference to Exodus. We're preaching through the book of Exodus. Exodus 25 calls the tabernacle the tent of meeting. Exodus 33 calls it the tabernacle of witness. And in the Old Testament, God shows up to a man named Abraham and promises to bring a people from him. And, and you learn in Genesis that this seed, this Messiah, is going to come through through Abraham. And, and then he comes to Moses and, and he tells Moses, I will deliver the people out of Egypt but I'm also going to live in their midst. My presence will be with them. See, Moses has something special that Abraham didn't have. God is speaking to Abraham. God is revealing himself to Abraham. But now, the significance of Exodus, the significance of Moses, 
is that God's not just going to deliver His people. God's going to gather His people in the land, and then He's going to live in the midst of His people. He's going to dwell in the tabernacle where they're going to meet Him and they're going to learn about Him. Listen to Exodus 25.8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Exodus 33.7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. It'll be in this place where, where the presence of God will be tabernacled in the midst of the people. It's going to be there where, where He would, would teach them who He was. He would give them His law. He would teach them who, who He is through His law. And, and they would come to know who they were through, through the law. And you know, they would come to know that sacrifices are required and that there's a mediator, there's a separation. And all of that would happen because God would now be in the midst of His people. He'd live in the midst of them. And the tent of meeting showed them that, that, that God was in their midst and He was holy. When the tabernacle was completed in Exodus 40, it says, God's glory filled the tent. Listen to Exodus 40, 33. Moses finished the work and then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation because the, because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This same glory, this same God, is now taking on Himself human flesh and is now tabernacling, living in the midst of the world so that the world would know who He is and the world would know who they are and the world would know that there's a separation between them and that the world would know that there's a substitute, a sacrifice that's needed and that there's a mediator needed between them and God. And it's here where we learn who God is and we learn who we are. And embodied in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God the Father. And it's the third thing that He gives here. The eternal God becomes flesh. The eternal God comes to us, dwells in the midst of us. He doesn't remain in heaven and say, come up to me. He comes to us so that we would know who He is and know who we are. And look at the last phrase there. And we beheld His glory. This glory that was unapproachable in the book of Exodus. Now, we're able to behold through Jesus Christ. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The third revelation is that Jesus reveals God to us. And this is what He says here. Jesus uniquely displays God. Because He is God. God was made fully known to us in the person of Jesus. You can see a little bit of God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. You can see a little bit of God in you. You're made in the image of God, even though you're, you're fallen. In a human being, you can see the image of God, and you can also see the result of the fall. You can see that you're different from an animal. You see that you can do good things, but you also see that you can do very, very wicked things. But in Jesus Christ, He fully, uniquely, completely displays who God is. We beheld His glory. It, it means to study, to, to behold His glory. It means to be a spectator of something, to comprehend it. And Jesus, during His earthly ministry, gave a glimpse of the very glory of God. 
What is God like? Big mean guy that's just waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt? Is he a distant deity that doesn't really care about the earth, that just kind of wound it up and, and let it spin however you choose or decide? Is he like a, a gray-haired grandfather rocking in a rocking chair, always there, able to forgive? Uh, what is God like? Who is he? Is God kind? Is Jesus kind? Is God merciful? Was Jesus merciful? Is there heaven? Is there a hell? What did Jesus say? The answer to who God is is found in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God. He displayed Him. That was His purpose for coming. He would tabernacle. The eternal God would become flesh and He would tabernacle. He would live in the midst of the world so that the world might be able to know God because apart from Jesus Christ, no one can know God because we're fallen and, and we're depraved. And, and our minds do nothing but suppress the truth, Romans 1 says. It perverts the truth. It takes what little bit of light there is and turns it into darkness, which is why there's all the religions of the world and why all of... Of the, all of the, the, the pagan gods of the past are like human beings. I mean, all of the concepts of all the other gods are, they're just deified humans. But Jesus Christ declares, this is God. This is who He is. He's full of grace and He's full of truth. He is holy and He is righteous, but He is merciful and long-suffering. He doesn't say, climb up to me, he comes to us. He doesn't demand your son or your life from you. He gives his life so that you might be able to have life and have it more abundantly. He says there are all kinds of religious yokes that you can place on yourself, but take my yoke upon me, for it is easy and light. You can try in many ways to cleanse your conscience from dead works through, through the sacrifices and even of blood sacrifices. But I can cleanse your conscience from dead works that you might be free and you might be forgiven and you might serve the living God. You may have looked to, to Buddha in the past, man from, from China, but I am God and I can forgive all of your sins. And you can feel clean and lay your head on the pillow at night and know that if you would open your eyes in eternity, you won't be cast into outer darkness, but you'll be in my literal presence, a place of eternal bliss and joy because of what I have accomplished for you on the cross. Jesus Christ displayed who God is because He was God. And we beheld Him. He explains the Father to us. Look at verse 18. Further elaborates. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He has declared Him. God is spirit. God is God. Nobody's seen God at any time. But Jesus explained Him. Declared him. Jesus says to his disciples, if you you remember that passage in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. I go away to prepare a place for you. If I go away, I'll, I'll come again. And you remember his disciples say, Lord, Lord, how can we how can we know the way? And Jesus gives that great verse, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. And they say, Show us the Father. Remember what Jesus says? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Who's God? Look to Christ. 
How do you know who Christ is? The eternal Word is revealed in the written Word. So the real question this Christmas is, is who is Jesus? Who do you say that He is? Is He a teacher? Is He a special man? Oh yeah, He has some great wisdom that you can follow and make your life better? Or is He God? Is He God who came to us and didn't leave us in our sin? Is He God who, who made a way that we might be able to to have a way to Him? It's exactly who the Bible declares He is. Who do you say that Jesus is? The answer to that question is the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between not just joy in Christmas, but joy for all eternity. Don't try to climb up your own way. Come the only way that God Himself has provided to you by your heads. Same John said, Behold, behold, John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. What is God like? Behold the Son. What's the Son like? He's revealed in the Word. What must you do? Receive the testimony of God and repent. Repent and believe. And then rejoice. Rejoice in Emmanuel. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And He's not left you alone in your sin. Will you believe? Will you believe the record of God's Son? Will you turn to Him and say, I forsake all of my ways, all of my sins, all of my efforts to climb to you, and I receive this beautiful gift that you have come to me. I see who you are and I see my sin, and I turn from it and I turn to you, and I embrace, I fully trust in the work of Jesus alone that while you're not pleased with me, you are with Him. And while I need to pay for my sin, Jesus did pay for it. And He rose from the dead victoriously. And I put my trust in Him. If you will do that, God will save you. Father, as we come before You, we give You praise for the Gospel. We thank You that You declare it in truth. And we thank You that that it's so clear and so plain. Help us to believe. Thank You for this beautiful gift that You came to us in Christmas. We pray it all and give You praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.